Hello and welcome to CMO Convo, the podcast from CMO Alliance, where we tackle some of the big questions facing marketers today. And today, we're going to be tackling big questions around content with Randy Frisch, CMO of Uberflip. Chiefly, are we forgetting the purpose of content and just creating content in a vacuum for content's sake? According to Randy, we should be creating full buyer-driven content experiences rather than just letting it sit on your site. This episode brought to you by Deep Crawl. Savvy CMOs know that SEO has never been a more important part of their marketing mix. Ranking at the top of Google search results has a direct impact on revenue by lowering customer acquisition costs, but content and keyword optimization is only part of the picture. Following recent search engine updates, your overall website health and technical performance are key to ranking well in 2021 and beyond. With DeepCrawl's all-in-one technical SEO and website health platform, your team will have the tools it needs to track your website's technical performance, improve page ranking, and stay top of mind with customers by staying top of the search results in Google. Join leading brands who already use DeepCrawl, including teams at Adobe, eBay, Twitch, PayPal, Microsoft, and Canva. Visit deepcrawl.com to ensure your brand reaches its full revenue potential through the one initiative most marketing teams overlook, technical SEO. Hi, Randy. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks, Will. I'm excited to be here. Me too, me too. Um, I'm, I'm a content writer by trade, so I'm very excited about this topic because we're talking about content experiences, which is always going to be relevant to our audience. CMOs are always inundated with the need for new ways to approach content. So any kind of discussion about that is going to be a very, very interesting one to our audience. But before we do get into that, Randy, maybe you could introduce yourself, tell us a bit about yourself and sort of like your current CMO role. Beauty. Yeah, I'm happy to do so. And uh Good to know that I'm, I'm in company with another true marketer and content writer and yourself. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't often think of myself by my title versus the stuff that I love to do. And for me, that's always been marketing. I mean, even when I was a kid, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in North America. So Super Bowl was the big thing and Super Bowl ads. I mean, that, that to me was the coolest kind of marketing out there. Somewhere along the path, I guess I, I thought that B2B marketing was as sexy as Super Bowl, Super Bowl marketing, uh, which I don't know how that kind of transpired or evolved. Although nowadays you actually see B2B companies advertising at, at Super Bowls, which is you know really how mainstream B2B marketing has gotten in the scale of some of the opportunities. Uh, in terms of you know what what gets me ticking is, you know, just making the ability to execute marketing easy. Uh, And that's the type of marketer I am. I'm not a coder. I'm not this hacky guy, but, you know, put me in front of a solution like PowerPoint and I can make like beautiful things happen because they just made it easy for me. And that's the type of marketing that I like to try and empower the team around me to, to accomplish. So it's taking sort of like simple tools and doing exciting things with them. It's not looking for a complex approach. It's looking for a well done simple approach if i'm getting the right end of the stick yeah i think even more so it's you know any type of marketing i think we look to come off as well as possible with our brand but the best marketing these days is probably timely marketing it's the ability to get something out in that moment you know to to really capture what's going on i mean one of the stories i've told before and in the book i wrote was of Oreo, which again, ironically is with the Super Bowl where, you know, there was an outage of power at the Super Bowl and Oreo did this, you know, campaign in the moment on Twitter, you know, telling people to go dunk their Oreo, you know, in, in the dark and see what happened. It was a great fun moment. 
And I think those are the types of things that we need to be able to do across the board, not just on social media. Social media is maybe a little easier to be nimble and do something in the moment, but sending out an email, you know, running an ad, you know, adjusting your campaigns in various ways to meet the buyer in the way that they expect to be met. And, and one of those ways, one of those great ways of doing that, particularly in the B2B space is with content, I assume. A- absolutely, absolutely. I, I think content at the end of the day to me is your ability to show someone that you can actually solve their problem, right? And you know, one of the things, if, if we think about you know, this idea of personalization, which is really some of what we're talking about here, right? Is, you know, 10 years ago, the idea of personalization was very much, do you know my name? Right. And, and honestly, if we, if we think back like 10 years ago, if you got an email from a big company in your inbox and they knew your name, like, oh, my God, how did they do this? This it was is impressive. So wild. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was cool. It was really how cool. How did Blockbuster, Blockbuster, like massive organization, actually know my name? Well, we know that that wasn't enough, though, because nowadays when we get that same email, we're kind of like, oh, how did they get me on their list? Right. <laughs> we know how mail merge works. We know what's going on. Even if we're not in marketing, we know that how that happens at this point. So where it shifted in my mind is, like I said, can you actually solve my problem? Like that is true personalization. And, you know, maybe the best example in our day-to-day lives that we can relate to is something like Netflix, right? You get an email from Netflix and yes, they know your name, right? It'll say something like, hey, Will, we've got great picks for you tonight, Right. And that kind of gets you to you know, pay attention at first. But what really gets you is the body of that email will have the movies, the TV shows, the documentaries that you're most likely to want to watch, right? So they'll know. And you know, I was, I was given some, some feedback on you, Will. Like, I know you've got like some Viking ancestry, right? <laughs> through, through this DNA report you did. Somehow Netflix is going to find that out. Right? They do. And they're they do. They know some that. Some sort of amazing that. Viking trilogy to you they have to, to actually be able to say that we know you and we can deliver you the type of content that you may be looking for. That's what gets us to actually log into Netflix. It's Ooh. not the fact that they know your name's Will. It's the fact that they can actually pair those things together. And we're seeing that in more and more. I mean, Netflix is maybe an overdone example, but I, I just bought a, a Peloton treadmill in my basement. And you know, on the weekend, I go down there and they know all the workouts that I may want based on who I've worked out with, what type of music I listen to. This idea is moving not just in, through our, our day-to-day lives, but it's now expected in our marketing. Whether we're a B2C marketer or a B2B marketer, we need to be able to emulate those experiences and meet customers in that same way. Because those, those experiences, they keep you using the product as well. They absorb you into it. Like- getting into a Netflix binge, like getting the recommendations that come up next. Um, I haven't used Peloton, but they'll recommend new types of exercise, I'm assuming, based on what you, your progress and stuff like that. So it's all a way of keeping you using the product through how they present sort of the content and features available to you. And is that what we're talking about when we talk about content experiences as opposed to content marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So content marketing, in theory, should have hit everything that we're just talking about. Like if you go back the same 10 years ago when inbound marketing was a buzz and Content Marketing Institute was coming out with this term, their proper definition should hit on not just creating content, but leveraging it to build the relationships that we're talking about with buyers. The challenge that ended up happening in a lot of companies, a lot of organizations, starts with 
many trends, which is we very much associate that buzz term to the first steps of the process, right? Content marketing, first of all, is very much owned by content creators, right? And those content creators have a very different role than the ones who are going to distribute content or tailor the campaigns that are going out through email and ads and social and everything around that. They're creators. They write great blogs. They create great videos. You know, they, they author amazing eBooks and full storybooks. I mean, that is the role very often that we associate with a content marketer. And as a result, we've very much defined content marketing as content creation, right? For right or wrong. And, and at this point, my view is let's let content marketing be defined as creation, but let's put just as much emphasis on actually using the content that's created, right? You know, the stats that are out there show that, you know, 70% or more of the content we create never gets used after it's posted on our blog, right? And that's just scary. And that's not what the content marketer wants. We need someone who's actually going to be thinking about how we create this engagement, like we just talked about on Netflix or Peloton or Spotify or Amazon. We know all these worlds that we, that we live in. And that is where we get into like very specific things that we need to think about in terms of content experience. For me, those things are thinking about the environment, the structure, and the last one being the way we, that we actually compel someone to engage with that content through that. So to, to my mind, from what you're saying, it's sort of like a mix between content distribution and site architecture when it comes to building a great content um, experience. It's about where are you putting the content so it's available for people to see it and how do people get through your site to absorb the different types of content? Is, is that basically what, That's what a great, It's a great way to think about it. I mean, let's compare this as an example to the, the team that's going to own your home website, right? Your dub, dub, dub. Uh, you know, when you, when you go to that, you know, domain and you go to that homepage, there's a team behind the scenes that's often creating the copy for that site that's doing the design. But there's often another team that's then optimizing, that's thinking about how do we change where a CTA lives? How do we think differently about the site architecture of what one page leads to another? The same thing has to happen with our thought leadership. You know, and, and the, what we want to ultimately accomplish is to get someone to flow through as much content on one visit, no different than coming to your website and getting them to go from one page to the next without a high bounce rate. So the problem that, that we usually see is, is as follows. What we usually end up doing as marketers, and it's okay if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I'm guilty. We're all guilty of this. I used to be guilty of this myself. I'm still guilty in some ways. <laughs> is we'll, we'll say something like, all right, I'm going to run a campaign. I'm going to do some sort of SEM campaign. I'm going to send out an email to a list that I've got. And I'm going to direct them to this really great piece of content that I've got. And then if I succeed with that, I kind of ring the bell and I celebrate. And it's not that we shouldn't celebrate that first success, but the mindset has to be, well, then what do I want that buyer to do? And most of us take the mindset, well, my next action will come the next time I spend money on another campaign, right? Maybe my next one is sending a direct mail play. Maybe my next one is sending some sort of retargeted ad. But we, we do this in a way where we assume that we have to continue to spend each time to get them to that next content asset. And as you know, if you know the term uh, customer acquisition cost, really what we're doing every time we go back to the well, 
to spend is we're jacking up our customer acquisition costs. And as marketers, we kind of justify this with fancy terms like multi-touch attribution, right? It's great. Yeah, it kind of saves our jobs. Um, but, but the reality is, you know, we will need to use other channels. But if we can get someone to one more content asset when they visit, it's very similar to your analogy, Will, that you gave, which is that binging experience watching Netflix, right? They don't have to pull me back in because they show that next episode in five, four, three, two, one, right? And it just starts. That's what we got to find a way to do with our content. But to do that, we really have to make sure that we're suggesting something that is a natural progression, right? The risk that a lot of us end up doing is that we just show the next ebook because they watched, because they read an ebook or the next video because they watched a video or the next blog post because it's chronologically the, la- the next one that we, that we publish versus saying, well, based on what they just watched, what is the next item that we should put in front of that buyer? So it's, it's, Stopping thinking about content, well, a single piece of content in a vacuum is thinking about how it fits into all the other types of content you've got going on. So like you have like a hub and then you have for like a certain category and then you have all these different spokes of content coming up or, or even like a branching path even. Is that a way of thinking about it? Absolutely. absolutely. And, and I think a lot of people are sitting here probably saying like, of course, this is pretty obvious. Yeah. But look at 90% of websites and go to their blog or their resource center, whatever you might call it. And realize that there, you're often seeing headings like videos, ebooks, blog. It's all by format, right? And that's because that's how we create content. Back to content marketing. Content marketers are often, you know, superheroes at ebook writing or video creation. And then we publish it in those buckets. We have to shift, like you said, to thinking about the right content for the right buyer at the right time. Now, so far, we're talking very much about how do we do this, say, on a website, you know, like a resource center. But now the expectations are starting to get down to the idea of more of this account-based marketing approach, where we're seeing more one-to-one or one-to-few segmentation of our audiences. And with that, it's not enough, like we said with the email where we say, hey, I know your name. It's not enough to deliver an ad on a, on a platform like Demandbase or Sixth Sense or Rollworks, if you know some of those solutions and you're listening, but really to make sure if someone actually clicks on that ad, how do we drop them on a page that's as personalized, where we still know their name and their company, but more so we can surface, you know, call it 10 pieces of content that may be interesting to that buyer, not the 10,000 pieces of content that we've created over the last you know, 10 years. And again, that sounds wild, but imagine logging into Netflix and just seeing all of the TV shows by date that they were published inside of Netflix. We'd never find anything, right? Even if we had a search, we'd never find what we were looking for. We need to do a better job at curating the right content for our buyer. So what's that, what's that curation look like? Is it is it up to us to try and create these content experiences just like on our own sort of intuition or is it about a data-driven approach is there sort of like ai machine learning that can help help out with this like how's how can someone get started with building these kind of curated experiences that's a great question yeah so let's let's go to the unsexy part of the answer and then we'll get to the fun part uh so the the unsexy part is that we we first got to make sure that we centralize and organize 
our content. I, I warned you, like it's, it's not fun stuff, uh, you know, but, but the problem is most people kind of skip over this and they just try and like find the content on the fly. Imagine starting at a company today, right? And many people are jumping around in their roles amid this great resignation that's happening. Imagine jumping in and trying to find all the content that's relevant to your buyers, let alone your buyers doing so. It's hard for us to look back. So what we need to be doing as we create content is bringing that content into a central place that we can, you know, we can know what we actually have and what's still, you know, if you will, kind of govern to be, this is content that we want to use. And then we need to organize it. The organizing is where we tag it, we audit it, we go through a process to make sure that we have the right labels on content. Now, we should organize that content both by the way that our audience looks for it, you know, so think about SEO keywords, but also by the way your internal stakeholders look for it. So one of the things that my team does, we actually take our content and we put tags on it based on Salesforce opportunity stage, because we want our team to be able to say, we've got someone sitting at 60% op stage. What's great content for this type of buyer, perhaps even in this vertical, because we'll put tags based on the verticals that we sell to so that they can find relevant content that they can put in front of that buyer. So once we've done this centralization and organization, then we have a choice. So this is where we get to the fun stuff. We've gotten over the boring stuff. Then we've got a choice. We can either be very manual and very thoughtful about the content that we want to put in front of someone, still having the ability to search using keywords and tags, or we can start to leverage AI, right? That AI functionality can allow us to match those tags against things like intent. So suppose you're using a platform like Sixth Sense or Demandbase or Rollworks, you can actually say, what is this account trending on from a search perspective? What content do I have that matches and actually deliver contextual content in the moment? Now, there's two different you know, extremes there. I would argue that for people who are trying to do kind of one-to-one ABM, like really like I've got 10 accounts, you want a team being very thoughtful and going through the content that's been tagged and audited. But a lot of us are getting into ABM that's more built into the, our general approach to demand generation. And with that, this more one-to-few or one-to-many ABM approach, we're going to leverage AI and actually be able to do this at true scale. So these are sort of like the practicalities of like how, how CMOs and how companies go about building these types of experiences. But why should they build those experiences? Why would buyers be interested in these kinds of experiences? What kind of benefits do they get from these? Like, is there, is there data to back that up? Is there a way of like codifying this? Like if you need to go to your CEO and say, we need to build these content experiences, what data can you say to back up the, the need for that kind of thing? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I mean, so far I've given you a bunch of great analogies that come from our consumer world and, and those are fun. Uh, they're easy to relate to with your CEO. But we actually went out at Uberflip and we spoke to some analysts this past year and we actually worked closely on a commissioned report with Forrester specifically on content experience. So what they did was they went out to over 300 director level content experience or VP marketing level managers inside of organizations in North America and asked a number of questions to understand where are they in terms of this prioritization. 
Now, the, the first thing that was really interesting was, you know, a data point that said that 63% of buyers will actually disregard content if it's not relevant to their needs, right? And that's, I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Like if you put something in front of me that I don't like, I'm on the web, Google's a step away. I'm just going to step aside and do a different search or go to the second result on that search. So we're very much able to kind of move over. The other part that was that was kind of interesting was understanding why this was the case. So there's, there's this framework that I've used for a long time that a lot of marketers use as well. And it's this idea of how do we guide someone through this buyer journey that, that we're trying to take them on. And I think about it as three very natural steps. The first thing that we're trying to do is identify our buyers. I'll come back to that. The second one is to actually attract our buyers. And the third one is to engage our buyers. Okay. Now, the first two there, identify and attract, that's very much about what are the accounts that should buy from us, very ABM, if you will. And then what channels am I going to use to go out and grab their attention? Ads, emails, social, PR, whatever, you know, whatever channel we believe. The last part of engage, this destination, is very much about where am I going to send them? And that's a lot of what we've been talking about so far here is what type of sites. So the interesting part, according to Forrester, when they went out, is if we look at that first bucket, which is identified, almost 75% of marketers felt like they've nailed this at this stage. Right? And that makes sense. There's a lot of great tech that helps us understand from our CRM to our marketing automation platform to intent platforms like we've talked about today. The second one is that ability to attract and that attract almost 64% of marketers feel like they can use the right channels to attract people, right? And now no one's ever said on which channel is the best. I mean, we're always trying to optimize that. Here's the scary one though. The last part was that only 11% of marketers feel like they can engage buyers once they've got their attention, wow. right? And that's wild because you think about it as follows. Each of these buckets in my mind is an area that a CMO is spending money on, right? We spend a ton of money on data to ultimately identify our buyers. We spend a ton of money on channels to go in and uh, you know, grab someone's attention. And then the last step there is that we ultimately try and keep them around. And why is it that we can't do that? Well, in many cases, we don't put as much money into that budget. But that's also because many marketers through this study identified that they don't have control over that. They're at the mercy of, say, a web development team, you know, the CMS operators, which aren't traditionally thought of to be part of the modern day marketing group. And as a result, we're very much always looking either to an agency or some sort of web development team in our organization, which slows down our ability. So back to your question, you know, what should you be telling the CEO? I think the argument of where we need to evolve our marketing spend is not just to spend on understanding who our buyers are, how to grab their attention, but really how do I keep it, right? That's the part that marketers, I think, going into 2022 are really going to see that scale. You mentioned something that interested me there about the being reliant on external people like, like web developers or the, the C, um, CMS managers. Does that mean we need to bring that in-house? Does that mean we need to have these people on like the content teams moving forward? Because that, that could be very expensive for sort of like startup teams and stuff like that. Is there a way to get around that kind of thing? Like if you've got a dev, to be, dev team, particularly if you're in Europe, you could have dev teams that are in 
different countries doing that kind of stuff in different time zones. So how can you work closely with them to sort of overcome those barriers to create these kinds of experiences? Yeah, it's a great question. There's, you know, first off, I, I'm not sitting here saying web developers are no longer needed. You know, there is absolutely need. And even on my own team, we have our own dedicated web dev resource that's built into our marketing team. I think we're starting to see those resources more built into the team and reporting either into a digital lead or a content lead, depending on the case inside of those organizations. So that's, that's one trend that we're seeing for sure. The other, though, I think is, is new technology that's out in the market that's enabling modern day marketers to be part of this solution, right? And, you know, Uberflip, without a doubt, I mean, that was our mission. That's what we're at to achieve. But we're not the only type of solution out there. I'll give you some other examples that we use in our own tech stack. You know, when we want to build a landing page, we're using a great solution, say, like Unbounce, right? When my team wants to build... Um, uh, templates or actual campaigns inside of our email automation platform, rather than having to code in HTML and all the you know design elements, we're using technology like Stencil. That's fantastic. Uh, and then when we're thinking about this content experience, that's where something like Uberflip comes in. Now, can you get all this done with other ways and other people and other resources and agencies? Absolutely. And can it look fantastic? Absolutely. But I come back to where we started the conversation, which is all about speed to execute, right? Our customers expect them to meet them in moments, right? And when something's changing out there, they expect us to be able to change alongside with them. And I think if we look back at the last two years, it's probably taught us the importance of the way in which we move at speed more than ever. You know, when the pandemic hit, there were companies that completely had to change their go-to-market, right? You know, a great example, I was, I was interviewing a CMO of a company called Trip Actions, uh, Megan Eisenberg. She's fantastic. And she talked about, I mean, they, they were in the travel industry. And overnight, they realized that to get through this, to be there for their customers, it was no longer the old talk track that they had, but they had to shift that talk track and they had to re-audit and reimagine all the content they were going to put in front of buyers, right? It no longer made sense to, you know, deliver that same next nurture email the way they would have sent in February of 2020 versus April of 2020. They had a shift in moments and the ability to do that really ins requires ensuring that we're not at the mercy of these agencies and web development teams that can't move at the pace that our customers expect. So when, it, when it comes to adaptability, how adaptable are these content experiences? Is it easy to sort of like change content around? Is it easy to move things in and out of certain tags and stuff without breaking sort of like the chain, so to speak? Like, because if, if you need to be adaptable, having sort of like this established pattern surely seems to fly in the face of that. Yeah, it's it's a great question. Uh, you know, technology has evolved so far. Uh, and what we actually have, have really focused on ourselves is how do you get things to happen in moments? And the definition of moments is actually different depending on the stakeholder. So in terms of our technology and our own team of how we use the technology, our marketing team, as much as they need to move quickly, they don't move anywhere as quickly as a sales rep moves. So what we had to actually do is find ways to ensure the right amount of decision-making is possible for a marketer versus a salesperson when these things happen. But ultimately, 
a marketer can probably build a stream of content for a buyer with Uberflip in about, you know, four to five minutes. Um, if you look at a sales rep, they can do so in under a minute. And that's partly because we've removed some of the decision criteria that we want to put in front of a sales rep because we know that they're going to look to make quick action to really respond in a moment when an email comes in. So it's, it's interesting you brought up sales reps because it kind of moves on to where I wanted to, to talk about next, which is other departments having input on these content experiences. How important is it to work with sort of like the sales team or the custom success team or the product team to develop these these experiences? Because it can't just be the content team working in a vacuum. Like we said, a piece of content can't exist in a vacuum. Neither should the content team, surely. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'll take you back to the framework that I talked about before this identify, attract and engage, right? Those three steps. I, I think in the, in the old world of marketing, and I'm only talking like 10 year old, we very much associated that all had to happen at the top of the funnel, right? Buzzwords like inbound marketing taught us that that was the case. Now, what we're hearing more and more is that we are responsible for the entire buyer journey. Not just the entire buyer journey, but more so the entire customer journey now. And what I mean by that and the distinction is it's not just getting them to purchase, it's actually finding them after they become a customer and finding ways that we can ensure that they're using our solution or product or service or even upselling that customer to become a bigger customer. I think in some ways the pandemic has pushed that for a lot of companies who couldn't sell net new and had to focus very much on retention or focus on getting that growth from their existing install base. So we, we now look at that and we say to your question, what is the role of content? It needs to flow across that entire buyer journey. So, you know, you look at, at you know, Uberflip again, and, you know, some of the things that we track are what are the ways that someone uses our technology? If we go back about seven, eight years ago, inbound was like nine out of 10 people were using us for inbound strategies, as they would have said. Now, when we look at the cross-section of different use cases, we've got five that we see up at the top, right? One is just general demand generation. You know, the second is inbound. The third that's rising more and more every day is account-based marketing, right? You know, this mindset of more of a one-to-one. But the other two that have really popped up in the last three years are sales engagement and customer engagement. And those are, are relatively new, but it's this idea that we're going to use content at every stage. And it's not just about marketing providing, as we've said in the past, air cover, right? Marketing is always going to be sending things out, but we need a partner with our sales and success reps to send that out. One of the things I've, I, I sometimes joke about, because we've all gotten these, these emails, right? You get in the same day an email from the marketing automation robot that is, you know, some company emailing you and from a sales rep. And it's somewhat comical when you get that same message on the same day and they just don't seal, seem aligned in any sort of way. It kind of breaks right? the spell, doesn't it? It kind of, kind of it takes does. away the magic. Like, yeah. You know, they're, they're changing campaigns, they're changing narratives, they're sending you the same content or different content mm. that contradicts each other. And that's because in a lot of those cases, at, at those more newer bottom of funnel or customer advocacy stages, those individuals in the organization, they're searching for your own content. It's almost comical, right? Like watch a sales rep or a CS rep in your organization go and try and find content. The most common place they go 
is actually quite logical, but, but hilarious, is Google, right? They will go to Google to find their own company's content because they know what they're searching for and that's how we search. But that's not the way we want people to go find content. We want them to find content that you've said, this is relevant right now. Google's telling us what's relevant over the last year, right? You want what's relevant on this day, in this moment, and what you want them going out with. So there's different ways that we can do this. I mean, in the most basic, make sure you got a good spreadsheet, right? I mean, this isn't fancy technology advice here. This is like Google Sheets, Excel, whatever your spreadsheet of, of uh, preference is. Uh, make sure it's accessible, shared, and updated with the latest content that you want them to use. And you should have columns there that highlight different verticals that this might work for, et cetera. Ultimately, though, when you get to the point of wanting to enable at scale, that's where technology comes into play yet again. And that's this idea of bringing in tech that can allow that person in the solution that they may be in to inject the right content. So that should work if they're using Gmail or Outlook or something like Salesloft or Outreach. You know, the ability to actually find content and inject it based on what's approved. And this, this concept that we've been you know, kind of building on the, through the whole combo, Will, is like, to me, like technology is that last thing, right? You know, we've all seen that, uh, that triangle, the, the people process technology triangle. I, you know, everyone loves that. I use it all the time. But when I, when, I, when I speak to that, I always say that technology is the last thing that we should be buying, right? I, I think sometimes we assume that tech's going to fix it all, right? Uh, you know, maybe the worst technology name for that was marketing automation, right? Like it, it, it suggested that it would just automate marketing for us. Um, I always say the first thing you need is good people, right? You know, I mean, good people is, is ultimately the key to the most successful businesses. You know, then you need good process. You know, those people have to build process and implement process. And then from there, you're actually able to say, okay, great. We've got great people and a great process. Instead of going and getting more and more people, how do we actually bring technology in to allow scale on what's been developed? And that to me is how I think through all the investments that we make. And a lot of the things that we're talking about here apply uh, just the same. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I think that we've covered a fair bit so far. Um, maybe makes sense right at the end to sort of like sum up sort of the, the process of creating a content experience. Let's go, go back to the start and say like, what is the, the process that you take when it comes to developing content experiences and what other CMOs should be doing? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we, we already actually hit on a, a couple of those first steps when I called them the unsexy things, uh, the centralizing and the organizing of content. And, and those first two steps are actually part of a framework that I've worked on for you know four or five years now. I wrote a book. Uh, I, you know, people can cover their ears. It's a little, it's a little uh, dirty, but it's called fuck content marketing, uh, <laughs> focus on content experience. Hence a lot of our conversation here today. And, you know, there's a five-step framework. We hit on the first two. The third step there is to personalize the experiences. And the, the key there, as we said earlier, it's really hard to go and do that at scale when you haven't done that groundwork to understand what content you have and to make sure it's organized accordingly. Once we personalize those experiences as we hit on with either you know, hand curation or AI, then we've got to distribute those, right? You know, just because we've got all these personalized experiences doesn't mean people are gonna go find it. Yes, there's SEO, but in many cases, we need to drive people to content. You know, that's where our spend on campaigns comes back and remains so important. So that fourth step is distribution. And the last step is really learning through generating results. 
And then generating results means not just getting the next lead or MQL or account engagement, depending on what you may be tracking, but more so learning about what content was most valuable at what stage. And through that, it allows us to go back to where we actually started this whole conversation, which is content marketing, which is not part of this framework, but it allows you to go back there and think about what content should I actually create next based on what's, what people are using or what's missing in that equation that's stalling people up in their buyer journey. Awesome. Um, so we've, we've touched a bit on a few of the, the tools and resources that people can explore to maybe further their understanding of the, this process. Um, is there any others that you want to touch upon, any other good resources that people should check out if they're looking to explore content experiences and buyer journeys in that way? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think, you know, you asked a good question before is, how do I get someone to actually invest in this? You know, if, if I'm the content marketer, you know, this may not be on me. I mean, I think what you need to do is you need to pull an organizational shift of mindset. And to do that, you know, one thing you can go do, you can go get my book on Amazon. Uh, it's a great book. It's fun. Uh, and it really walks you through this shift of mindset of who owns the content experience. The other thing that we hit on is that report. Uh, if you go to our Uberflip page, you go to our hub where a lot of our content lives at hub.uberflip.com. No question, you'll be able to find this Forrester report on uh, the engagement buyer gap that they talk about. Um, I think that's another key one. And then just in general, go to uberflip.com slash relevance, and you'll actually be able to take some fun quizzes that'll help you understand how relevant you are to your audience right now. So I think a few of those things will get people on the right track. And uh, you know, definitely in addition to that, they can always connect with me on LinkedIn and you know, have some good chats. Awesome. Thanks, Randy. I, I know I'm definitely going to go check out these quizzes as soon as we're done recording, because I, I want to know as well how relevant we are to our, our audience. Um, but thank you for speaking to us today, Randy. Um, really, really interesting stuff. As a, as a content marketer, I'm always interested in talking about content, and it's always going to be relevant to our audience, so I'm sure they'll appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today. Um, and thank you to our audience for listening. Uh, we'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. <laughs>